In many ways, it feels like the world has gotten further apart. Um, and in also many ways, it feels like the world comes closer together. And so as we think about just international travel, certainly what happens on one side of the world can affect what happens on the other side of the world by that same evening. And so what happens in the morning uh, affects the other side of the world uh, that same day. And so we're so excited to have this conversation today with a global citizen and one of our own um, SAS team members. I'm your host, Alex Maersperger, and on season three of the Health Pulse podcast, we get to celebrate those changing healthcare and life sciences for the better. And today we get to celebrate Antonio de Castro, senior industry consultant in SAS's global healthcare and life sciences practice. And importantly and excitingly, guest host for the Health Pulse podcast in Asia Pacific. Welcome, Antonio. Thank you for having me, Alex. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for uh, this opportunity and just to be in the same platform as a lot of the healthcare and uh, life science industry leaders that, uh, that we've had. So exciting times ahead. Absolutely. So first, let's talk about how you got to SAS. Uh, you were born in one country, you were raised in another, and you're currently residing in a third. Is that right? Yes, that's correct, Alex. So I was born in Manila, uh, Philippines, and I migrated to Geneva when I was around 15 years old. Uh, and then uh, I was expatriated to Singapore, where I currently reside, from 2016 onwards. I joined SAS uh, in 2021, beginning of 2021, so a little bit, uh, a year and a half and, and some change ago, and uh, loving it since. But the connection with SAS runs deep, as I'm sure we will uh, uh, speak about later on. My connection with them is through my experience in clinical research back when I was still in Switzerland. Exciting. And I know your education path, uh, somewhat similar in different places and different times. How did that global mindset of getting to experience a few different countries affect what you ended up studying in school and then your ultimate career path? That's uh, an excellent question. And um, bear with me here because I want to sort of make a story. Um, stereotypically, Filipinos are sort of stereotyped as... Uh, uh, in, in the healthcare space, right? A lot of, uh, Filipinos growing up when, certainly when I was growing up, um, dreamed of being doctors, uh, nurses. The Philippines is one of the, uh, first countries that are exporting, let's say, um, uh, healthcare providers, notably around the, uh, the nurse, uh, function, right? So there are a lot of nurses in the U.S. that are Filipinos, a lot of, uh, nurses in, in the U.K., as well as basically English speaking countries, right? So, in the Philippines, and I'm sure a lot of our Filipino viewers can relate uh, that they were basically pushed to that direction with their with their uh, parents in terms of education, taking that up in college. Um, I didn't have that pressure, luckily. I would say I didn't come from a family of doctors uh, or or nurses. I certainly have family members that are in that path, but I didn't have that pressure. Um, I was always inclined with. Uh, I always liked mathematics. I've always uh, good at it in school. Um, so I've always had that curiosity. But I was, oh, uh, the things I liked in math was always the problem solving part. And I think statistics and data analytics in general is, is the continuation of that, right? Because algebra can be quite abstract with the, all the Greek letters and all that. 
it all makes sense to me once we actually plug in the actual numbers. So when we plug in the data and then we see uh, what the equation gives and what uh, and try to understand um, if it's a good equation, a good model or not. Yeah, I love that. I think uh, nature versus nurture. And so the certainly the place, it sounds like the, the place and the people where you were at different points really affected uh, sort of where you ended up. And so what a great story. And you talked about uh, clinical research. And oftentimes when we hear clinical research, I think it's easy to jump into the pharmaceutical space. A lot of your experience in clinical research was in the nutrition space. What is the main difference between that, between pharma research and nutrition research? That's an excellent point, uh, Alex. And definitely I've lived through that. Uh, I can't tell you you know, all the conferences, uh, life science, pharma conferences I've been to. And when I got, I get strange looks when I tell them I'm in nutrition, like, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, maybe if I can start with, with the similarities first, right? The same functions, because there, there is, uh, a lot, notably around the roles within clinical research, right? So it would be a similar setup where you have, um, clinical project managers running a clinical trials. Um, data management, uh, data managers, and biostatisticians. So I was uh, a biostatistician, right? And of course, medical directors, investigators, and, and um, all of the roles, most of the roles are the same. But of course, uh, there's a nutrition aspect. So usually we would work with um, uh, specialists, nutritionists, specialists in proteins or uh, sugar reduction, whatever the case may be, whatever the product we are currently investigating in. Uh, and again, it's the same drill in a way where a uh, protocol is made, uh, we build ECRFs, um, there's a statistical analysis plan that is um, created uh, at the forefront uh, before analyzing the data, and, and the rest, like the rest of the reporting team. So a lot of similarities really in terms of the process and a lot of the, and, and the functions that, that are there. When it comes to differences, uh, one of the main ones would be really the product itself, right? Because of the effect of the products. And this shapes the clinical trial in a completely different way. The effects of food are generally smaller, shorter, and you need to monitor people for a longer period of time before you can uh, see the, these differences, right? So typically a clinical trial in nutrition will be in a longer lifespan, uh, in a longer uh, time frame, right? Um, compared to uh, pharma, where uh, effect of drugs can be immediate, can be within 30 minutes, within two hours. So that changes the design of a clinical trial, making them longer in terms of the, of, of the length, right? And also the, the effects that we're going to observe. And this, of course, has an effect on the statistics, on the, the way I'm going to model uh, the things, because with, with a a uh, longer length of execution of the trial, I'm more open now to external variables that are affecting my trial. Um, I cannot control uh, everybody for six months, like lock them in one place and then completely observe them. Uh, they cannot stay in a hospital for six months for, nutritional, uh, for a nutritional clinical trial. So uh, those are the differences. And therefore, that affects the data I'm collecting, the, the way I'm uh, adjusting for the different biases that might come across there. 
uh, and the like. So again, it, it can be a very uh, interesting and long conversation just around these topics of, of differences. I love that. It makes makes sense and really appreciate the background and both the similarities and the differences. In your experience in both the nutrition side and the pharma side and presenting and learning at conferences, are we closer to the promise of personalization in one or the other? Are we closer to uh, personalized medicine or closer to personalized food and nutrition? Um, well, it will, it's, it's kind of hard to give a, uh, how do you say, uh, an estimation of where we are. It's all these are relatively new. I, what I can say is that in both fields, we are definitely, uh, there's definitely a lot of interest and we are definitely advancing, right? In, in a lot of things. So personalized nutrition is, is, uh, is of course a thing. Again, a lot of people also want to use precision nutrition. For the same way that people want to use personalized medicine, precision medicine. Um, and, and again, a lot of similarities in, in that regard, looking into different types of data, notably genetic data, right, that can inform what type of maybe nutrition that is more adequate or, or will have a, uh, a different effect uh, on, on the person. Uh, using those type of data as well to look into different risks, right, that might occur. That nutrition can maybe counteract um, at that level, at a nutrition level, rather than a, a, a drug level. So a lot of intersection there, and and definitely that space is is evolving, right. And again, multiple angles to that question because there's there's the adoption of new technologies, sensors. Right. Um, you know, all the trackers, health trackers that can, in the end, be used to inform about the patient or just the consumer in general and, uh, and inform how that can affect uh, the general health of, of that person. You use that word consumer uh, and patient, citizen, uh, member, all of these words get sometimes combined together. And so you have a, a background in consumer research and then also in the, the economics and statistics sides. And so in a lot of ways, after what we've talked about, so after the clinical trial, after getting a medicine or a new food to market, uh, healthcare, now you have the choice. And so healthcare and life sciences often don't act like other consumer markets. We often don't have the same range of choices or maybe the necessary, as consumers, maybe the necessary knowledge to make some of those choices for our own health. Is that true? Is there real consumerism in healthcare and life sciences? That is an excellent uh, point, Alex. I think the first question for that uh, you know, that we need to ask ourselves is that in, in this setting, in this healthcare and life science setting, who are the consumers, right? Who are we going to consider as consumers, right? It can, because again, there are multiple ways to look at this. It can very well be the doctors that are participating or running the clinical trials when it, we're talking about life science. Um, but of course, I think the most obvious consumer is, would be, uh, or the most, uh, obvious equivalent of a consumer would be uh, the patient, right? Either participating in, in a clinical study or actually uh, just a patient in, in a hospital. But I think there are um, different angles to that. So maybe let me separate them in terms of life science and healthcare. In the end, I think they intersect a lot. There is, uh, we 
we do expect a convergence between the, you know, healthcare and life science. We are observing that convergence, especially with the pandemic happening. Um, but if I look into life science, uh, uh, I think everybody has heard about decentralized clinical trials or decentralization of clinical trials. And this is really a, a movement in terms of, uh, yeah, a movement to put the patient at the, at the center, right? Make it easier for the patient to participate in a clinical trial. This has enormous benefits in terms of adherence to, to the protocol um, and just simply participation, right? Um, and it, some argue that it might even have uh, effects on the outcomes because then there's less stress, right? I don't need to stay at the, uh, at the, at the site or I don't need to answer all these questions questions uh, with the person in front of me. So from a life science perspective, I think the consumerism is very much linked to that decentralization of clinical trials, right? Making it easier for, for the participants. From the healthcare side, we can draw parallels, right? Because I, what I mentioned, I mentioned patients. So the same logic applies, right? By, by putting patients at the center, I think that's really how we can justify uh, consumerism. Um, but I think maybe, and this is my opinion, that in healthcare it might be uh, a little bit more different. We are so used to uh, listening to the doctor and really taking, uh, just taking their instructions, right? Uh, trusting them with, with our health, uh, that what they say is, is the best for us. I think that is changing, of course, uh, and the, the main factor there would be information, right? The data that everyone and the patients are are getting, the abundance of data that's just available out there, makes it that hey, I can uh, I can probably if I read about something, a particular treatment that is that I'm curious about, and maybe I can experiment with. I can have a conversation with my doctor. I sh at least I should be able to have a conversation with my doctor to to see whether that's adequate for my particular case or my particular uh, situation. Really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of negativity in the news, uh, certainly has been and, and continues to be. Uh, every time you you jump on your favorite news source, you sort of get hit with a new angle of, of something potentially bad that's happening somewhere in the world. What's one thing that you're optimistic about? What keeps you going? So to quote the Beatles, uh, it's, it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. So even with all the things that are happening now, uh, of course, the pandemic is, you know, we're still deep into the pandemic. Even though things are getting better, we're getting uh, more used to it. It's becoming an en endemic now, like we're, we're living with it. Uh, you know, with, with the markets crashing, with the wars happening uh, before our very eyes. I'm positive that all these experiences will lead to innovation, right, will lead to, to new things that are being discovered in order to uh, give us better, uh, a better outlook for the future. So uh, again, COVID is, a, is an example in which we've, we are seeing that already, right? There's the, the workplace has, has changed because of, because of COVID. A lot of the companies are finding out that a hybrid model works um, and it has uh, a lot of benefits, um, and and that completely changed it. So so the technologies that are supporting this uh, came up during the pandemic. So I'm sure with all that's happening in the world today, there's also a lot of new things that are gonna uh, that are gonna pop up that will be to 
humanity's advantage. And from a personal note, I am quite optimistic and quite positive about the future of uh, being a host in the Health Pulse podcast to showcase um, the healthcare and life science scene here in Asia and to speak with uh, healthcare and life science industry leaders. We're certainly excited about that. I uh, can't wait to listen and to watch and to continue to learn. And so, Antonio, thank you so much for your time today. I know there's so many demands on your time. And so really appreciate what we learned and what you've shared and how you expertly broke down so many of the trends and the, the things that we're seeing across both healthcare and life sciences. So really thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Alex. And as a listener or viewer, we know there's just infinite demands on your time. And so we really appreciate you taking a little bit of time and sharing it with us today. Uh, we know there is a, a lot of negativity out there. And so we hope that wherever you are, uh, you have a chance to either find or be the good around you. We also invite you into the comments here on YouTube uh, or at our email address if there are questions, comments, things that you would like to see, people that you would like to be on the podcast, or if you'd like to be on it yourself, please send us an email, thehealthpulsepodcast at sas.com. Thank you so much. <laughs>